0: Uh, if I ain't mistaken, she was pastor's wife, wasn't she? Oh, oh, okay. Birthday month. All right, Morgan, you got us. There it is. Okay. posted, okie dokie, probably this week and next week we'll finish this up, uh, I'm hoping, but I just, I got some, to me, exciting things I wanted to share with you today, so this is King of Kings, part five, and uh, let me read this uh Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 through 6, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, who hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, we've been five weeks and two more, and got this week, and well, this is the fifth week, and another week just on these few verses, so you can understand, I guess, why we're 24, 25 weeks in Revelation, and we only made it to verse 17 or 16. Yeah, we're still in verse 16. And last week, uh, you know, sometimes you uh, you say some things and and it, it, maybe it comes across boring or whatever, but it's a lead up to something else. And, you know, last week it just felt like a, a dud. But there were some people who liked it and, and watched the video and made a couple comments. So, so that was good, but it was all kind of leading up. You know, to the for today because you you sometimes you have to do that. I mean, this is a big old book right here. You just can't jump in and grab a verse out of context and and build something on it. But we see this greeting here that comes to us from the everlasting God. Uh, we we saw last week they were looking for the seed of David, the Davidic covenant that they would be one promised that would sit on the throne of David, and we 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 see how that got scattered and. I mean it didn't it didn't look like it because kings lived in the palace and then they would have a son and they would grow up in the palace. But by the time uh, you know they had gone into captivity, gone into Babylon, I mean, who's gonna be this seed? I mean, it looks like the promise has been been broken. All the way up until we have Mary and we have Joseph, and they're not uh, living in the palace, they're peasants and he's a carpenter and I mean, there you have it. And then in, um, in Matthew, and I always wondered why about these things. Because I thought, why did the Lord have to tell us? The son of, they beget, and they're the son of, they beget, and they're the son of, and they beget. But Matthew, the, the, the gospel, the first gospel we have, a gospel according to St. Matthew, the book of the generation. Notice it doesn't say generations. It says the generation of Jesus Christ. You know, I will, I'll just throw this out there. God doesn't have grandchildren. He's got sons and daughters. The generation of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew, when he writes this gospel here, he wants wants the audience to, to know, do you know who we're talking about here? Let me make this clear. This is the son of David, the son of Abraham. I want you to know if there's any question, any doubt, you people that has been reading the old scriptures, the Old Testament all through this time and dreaming about the Messiah, this one who's going to come and sit on the throne. Do you know? I mean, he's it. The one who is to come. I mean, I mean look at it. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham, and he goes into it. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas, Judah, and his brethren. This is exactly what we were talking about last week. This one that was promised, the one all the way back in Genesis that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And he brings it right down through, through Joseph here and it, he had the crown rights, this is going to be important. the crown rights to the throne of David. Because he was uh, Jesus really was the adopted son, if you want to call that of of Joseph, but the Gospel of Luke uh, tells us even better if we go to the uh, Gospel of Luke, it says uh uh, Luke chapter 3 verse 23, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Healy. Healy was the father of Mary, the father-in-law of Joseph. So Jesus had the crown rights of David through both Joseph and Mary. He's the last one. I mean, he's the one promised. He's the king. Through through all the branches of of the family, he's it. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. And he's telling us he's here. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the devil, he reads the Bible too. He knows all about prophecy. I mean, Jesus, as soon as he's baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased what happens he's led by the spirit into the wilderness where he meets the devil satan and and the devil has read the prophecies and he says i know why you're here most people don't know why you they got they got such small things he says i know you've come for all the kingdoms of the world i know that's why you come you've come to bless all nations you've come to be ruler of the kings of the earth the devil had read the bible he knew he knew who he was. He says, let's, let, I tell you what, let's cut a deal. Why fight? If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you. There's no need for us to have a fight here. He didn't bring Jesus out there to fight with him, did he? When he went out there to cut a deal. I'll give you all the kingdoms, bow down and worship Jesus turned down the satanic offer. He wouldn't have a kingdom based on Satan. This, I mean, this is, this is important. He wouldn't have a kingdom based on cutting a deal with the devil. He would have a, a kingdom based on a, dece, a, a defeated Satan. He's going to crush his head. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 after he's, he's come back from that, you know what they tried to do? They tried to, by force, take Jesus and make him king. That's in John 6.15. They wanted him to become king of Israel. Jesus turned them down too. I wish people could get a hold of this. I know you guys do. But I wish other people. Jesus didn't come to rule In Jerusalem, over a piece of land, over an ethnic group of people. He didn't. If so, he would have accepted the throne right there and then been king of Israel. He's king of kings. I mean, he's telling us, uh, guys, you, you missed it. He said, through the seed of Abraham... All nations would be blessed, not not just Israel, all nations would be blessed. All the world, not just one, king of all people, a kingdom that's founded in righteousness. So important. So Jesus turned down the satanic offer, Jesus turned down the offer of the Jews, And now this one that, that was offered all the kingdoms, one offered by Satan, one offered by Jews, he dies on the cross. I mean, do you ever look at that? He doesn't look very much like a king hanging there on the cross. Why did he have to die on the cross? Because his kingdom's going to be founded in righteousness. If it's going to be in righteousness, he must bear away all sin. Before he can become king, mustn't he? I mean, sin's got to be dealt with. I hear people talking about they're going to crown him king one day. I mean, what does, I mean, I always think, have you ever read Psalm number two? I have set my king on my holy hill. You missed it. You're about 2,000 years late. God the Father says, I will set my king. And guess what? You didn't have a thing to do with it. And it's a kingdom founded in righteousness. Do you know what righteousness means? If I I had to say it this way, have have you ever heard of cultures who would uh, make the women walk behind them? I like that. I mean, I just think a woman on it. No, I'm just kidding. That is unrighteousness. Now, if we were to look at it as walking, it would mean that as we walk, Tracy and I would be shoulder to shoulder. Nothing between us. We're, we're in step. Righteousness. Do you realize his kingdom is founded in righteousness? Meaning you're step by step, shoulder to shoulder, if you will, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing between you. Not behind, not out in front. Righteousness. That's just one way of, to look at it. Righteousness. So he must bear away sin. He must defeat Satan. He's got to, Right? Before he can become king. Who is Satan? He's he's the Lord of the lies. The father of lies. So he's got to be defeated. How can you defeat lies? Truth. So he he, he has to bear away sin. He has to defeat Satan before he can become a king. He's got to do these things. He must satisfy the holy wrath of God, uh, the broken law, and the curse. He must satisfy all of that. And when sin has been removed and when Satan's been defeated, now he can rise again from the dead. I'm telling you, people will talk about A risen Savior, especially around Easter, it's going to be coming up here before long. They'll talk about it, but they don't even, most people have no idea that he got up. If he did get up, he flew off somewhere. They have no idea what that means. Paul told us if he's not risen, you're still dead and you're in your sins. But if he, listen, if he didn't rise, then you're still dead and in your sins. What's that mean if he did rise? You're alive and you're not in your sins. Why? Because he took them away. Now some people will say, well, he just bore part of them away. No, I don't think so. You, you never could bear one. Much less all the mess that you've made. Listen. Paul... Here is speaking in the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter thirty-two. He's he's talking about that. I mean, this is what got Paul beat to death because he's talking about. I mean, why do you think it a a strange thing, old King Agrippa, that God should raise to the dead? This is what got him in trouble. They could talk about grace and they could talk about law and all this. You don't talk about somebody raising from the dead when you talk about that, buddy. You you're you're in a you're in a pickle. You're in a mess here. You don't talk about that. I mean, even even Martha says, uh, you know, I know he'll live again at the last day. Put that off. We can't have somebody raised from the dead amongst us. So here's here's Paul. I'm gonna I'm gonna start uh, verse twenty nine and. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him. Who's he talking about? This one, this seed of David, this Jesus. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. See, they put him there, rolled a stone and and sealed it and said, Enough, it's done. We've killed the prince of life. Look at him. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings. This is Paul. We declare unto you glad tidings. How that the promise... This is going to be important. Which was made unto the fathers? Made unto who? I mean, this started back in Genesis. It come right down through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah, right through David. Through that, the promise that was made to the fathers, God hath fulfilled. Do you get that? Next verse, thirty-three. Is it not working, Morgan? Acts. It froze up. It says, God hath fulfilled. Now, most people will tell you God is still out here waiting to fulfill prophecy and to do all these things. But Paul says, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children. How? In that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Psalm number 2. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. The very thing we've been talking about, first begotten for it means first begotten of what? Of the dead. He takes us all the way back to Psalm 2. And verse 34, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies, the Davidic covenant, if you will. The sure mercies of David. The Hased of David, the loving kindness, love in action, love coming at you. All that was promised to David, I'll give to you. Sure mercies, surely goodness and mercy shall follow. He says you now, you and me, all the days of our life. You know what he's saying here? Psalm 2 is fulfilled. Psalm 2 is fulfilled. He's the first begotten. He's born out of death. It it happened. The crowning of the king. The king has been crowned. And do you know what that means? The king has been crowned. Right? Well let's just take that how could you be king if there wasn't a kingdom? So if he's crowned king, where's he crowned king at? In his kingdom. I mean, he's not a king waiting on a kingdom and there's not a kingdom waiting on a king. He's crowned king of kings in his kingdom, which Jesus says is in you. I thought it was over yonder somewhere. He said the It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. His kingdom is within you. And it happened when? It happened when Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, here he is, the firstborn. He comes out of the tomb. And look, God says, my my son, I've birthed him out of death. I raised him out of death. He says, look at him. He's my firstborn. He's, He's to be the ruler of the kings of the earth. And now I appoint him a priest after the order of Melchizedek. What does firstborn mean? I know how we look at firstborn. Firstborn would, would say would be the oldest, right? But it doesn't mean uh, that in, in Hebrews, if so, Reuben would have been the firstborn. But the promise went to Judah. Reuben lost his rights. The, the, the firstborn is an expression in Scripture that means the place of honor, the place of dignity. It means my darling, my favorite. And the firstborn gets the double portion. Have you, I mean, you know how much nonsense goes around in the church today? Everybody's wanting a double portion, a double portion. Well, let me tell you something. Who gets the double portion? If you know anything about the Old Testament, the firstborn gets the double portion. Now, why did he get the double portion? Because he's now responsible for the rest of the family. He gets the double portion. He's the first begotten of the dead. Now, this firstborn, it means you're the inheritor, it also means you're the chosen, it means you're the beloved. You know, people get so wrapped up, I'm just a little side note here, people get so wrapped up on predestination, who's the chosen, who's the elect, and all that stuff. Is Those were Hebrew words for, for, for you're my favorite. You know, like you're the chosen one, that doesn't mean I chose you on all this others. It means you're, you're the one I chose to place all of my love on. You're the object of all of my affection. You're the chosen one. Well, guess who that is? It's, it's the seed of Abraham. It's, it's, it's the Lord Jesus. It's the King of Kings. I mean, God Himself parts the sky and speaks from the heavens. This is my beloved. This is my favorite. This is my chosen Son. Even on the mountain, hear ye Him. Now, if we go all the way back to Genesis... And look at Jacob. Remember, he's the son of Abraham, son of Isaac, son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. When was Joseph born? Joseph was born way down the line. He's like what? He's number 11. I think Benjamin was the last one. But yet Joseph had the coat of many colors. What that really means is he has the the, uh, firstborn coat. And the firstborn always wore a special coat. In the Hebrews, we said the coat of many colors. It's, it's the special coat. It had sleeves all the way down to the wrist. It wasn't a vest. You know, I, I, Denise wearing a vest because we wear a vest. I wear one at work all the time because I got to work. I need my arms free. Firstborn didn't wear that. He was covered all the way down. It kind of looks like the son of man that we've been looking at in Revelation that was clothed. And this coat also came all the way down to the feet. The workers, they they wore short uh, uh, coats because they had to be working and be able to move around. See, the, the firstborn, you could almost say he's kind of spoiled. He don't have a whole lot to do. Why? Because he's the favorite. He's the chosen. He's the beloved. Now, the firstborn should have went to Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn, but it didn't. It went to Joseph. You know what that really means? He was daddy's pet. Anybody have any brothers and sisters, anybody, anybody know one, that they, they would they had their pet? That's why everybody else didn't like him. He was daddy's pet. Jesus is the father's firstborn. He's the father's pet, if we want to look at it that way. He's my chosen, my beloved, the one who inherits all. Now, why is he the one who inherits all? Because he died, he conquered Satan, Satan. Uh, he, he, the world, it's given to him. He comes out of the tomb, so to speak, wearing the coat of many colors. In Psalm 2 it says, and I'll give you, if you'll ask, I'll give you the uttermost or the ends of the earth for your inheritance. He says, ask, I'll give you the world for your inheritance. All of it, the, the uttermost parts of the earth, it's yours. Who was it given to? The first begotten of the dead. It's yours. All you got to do is ask. It's yours. You're king of kings, ruler of rulers. You're my firstborn. You're, You're my chosen. It's yours. Psalm 2 is fulfilled. Now, firstborn also means, this is where the way we would look at it most of all, it means first of a series. The idea is there's more to follow. I wonder who the more to follow is. When Jesus rose from the dead, he merited the whole world. He merited it. You and I don't. He didn't get it by grace. He earned it. He's the first begotten. He's also the beginning of a brand new family of people. A brand new creation. A brand new family. First begotten. It's a brand new creation on the scene here. Something. I mean a brand new heaven. A brand new earth here that's beginning. A brand new seed that's being planted here. And he says as many as would believe on him or as many would accept him or have faith in him, they would have the right or the power to do what? Become the sons. Call themselves sons of God. Now how come? How can you do that? I mean, I'm just not talking some fanciful thing here because his life actually comes into you. You become one with Him, and now you have the right to call yourself sons of God. Now, He, he is the Son of God, uh, unique, eternal, other than. We are the smallest sons of God. i got to ask you, do you realize who you are? He was firstborn, we follow. Jesus says, because I live, you live also. Now, you know, we talk about this right to as many as believed on him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. Now, I don't know, you know, come boldly to the throne of grace and seek mercy in the time of need and all that. But all that was based on rights, right? Right? I mean, that's why he goes through this big genealogy, you know, in the Old Testament. If you was born of the wrong tribe, you you was limited. Things you couldn't do. I mean, you know, I mean, right now, Tracy works at the bank. You go down to the bank and she's never seen you before. Maybe you opened up your account at another bank and, and somewhere else she's never seen you. You know what you have to do? You have to prove who you are. And then once you prove who you are, you can take out what's yours. Whatever you got in there, you can take out. So this ain't something, well, I, 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 you know, I I just wish I was somebody or I'm trying to pretend I'm somebody. No, there's a proof going on. Well, Jesus breathed into him his very life, the form of the Holy Spirit. So here he rises from the dead. The firstborn, the chosen, the beloved, my darling, the inheritor. The firstborn of a new creation. And he'll give us his life. And now says the father, you're appointed king, ruler of the kings of the earth. But as a king, you're a priest. (coughs) After the order of Melchizedek. He wasn't. A priest after the order of Melchizedek until he rose from the dead. See, this, this whole thing is hinging on the resurrection. When he's king, how is he king? He founded his kingdom on righteousness. How is he king? All those he breathes his life into are his subjects, the little kings. And they are all just like him, made in his image. So it's a kingdom made up of kings because he's what? King of beggars? I mean, most of the church, you know, I heard a guy say the other day, I may not know how to pray, but I sure know how to beg. He's not king of beggars. He's not king of sick people. He's king of kings. I mean, we got to know who we are. He made you that way. You didn't do nothing. You didn't merit it. It was given to you by his grace. I mean, you know, I love when he, he come into that upper room. It says he breathed on him. They weren't jumping up and said, oh, Jesus, breathe. They had never heard of such a thing. He breathed on, him, on them and into them went his life. Just like all the way back in the garden when Adam was laying there. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And and man became a living soul. So it's a kingdom made up of kings. And now you can see why he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He didn't come from Levi. This king priest doesn't have a genealogy Uh, That proves he's a priest. Now, if Jesus down there, he couldn't go into the temple and minister. He's of the wrong tribe. He's he's of, of Joseph. He's of Judah. He couldn't go up in there and offer sacrifices. He could not do it. He wasn't son of Aaron. He could not do it. Do you remember in the Old Testament, there was one of the kings of Israel. He decided he was going to go into the temple. And the priest warned him, you don't have any rights to come in there. But he went in anyway and spent the rest of his life in leprosy. So here is Jesus, a a priest. But I I look at Jesus and I say, wait a minute, you don't have the the right genealogy. You're of the wrong tribe. You're Judah. He says, no, I'm after the order of Melchizedek. I'm a priest in my own right. I don't need to descend from Aaron. I'm a priest to my father. I'm a priest on who I am, not where I come from. But where's your offering, Jesus? I mean, if you're a priest, you've got to have an offering. Priests have to keep an offering. The priests offered, we read that, they offered on there all the hours of the daytime, and there was a burnt offering on there 12 hours at night. Jesus says, No, I offered myself once and for all. If he was a priest after the order of Levi, you can go read it in the book of Hebrews. He would have to often offer himself to put away sins, he would have to just stay on the cross. But he didn't. He offered once. And now he says, now let's just sit down and have some bread and wine and have some praise here. But where's your temple, Jesus? I mean, if you're a priest, you've got to have an offering. You've got to have a temple. Well, there's a stone. And there's a stone. And there's a stone. He says, I'm the foundation. Let's sit on the side of the road and have church. Because that's what Melchizedek did, didn't they? I mean, they sat on the side of the road and had bread and wine. They had church on the side of the road. You would have thought they would have had to go down to Jerusalem, offer some bloody sacrifices and go up into the temple. He said, no, this is a whole new order. It's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. No more sacred place. Listen to that. Let that sink in. No more sacred place. No more temple. He's the foundation. Those who he's breathed his life into are not only kings, uh, not only priests, they're the temple. Do you realize that? You're the temple, you're, you're the priest, and you're the king. It's amazing stuff. Then I've got to go back and look at him and I've got to say, wait a minute, Jesus, you're interested in the wrong kind of people. You're supposed to be the Messiah of Israel. Right? so what John Hagee says. He's the Messiah of Israel. But you forgot that all the promises said the Messiah, the Messiah of Israel would found a new Israel made of what? All nations. All us Gentiles. Even the cursed Canaanites. I mean, this... This priest after the order of Melchizedek, Jesus is a priest over Canaanites? Over people who have no right to the covenant? you ever read Ephesians? He says, you guys were aliens from the promises of God. You, you were removed from it. You had no rights to it at all. Do you, I mean, that's the reason he uses words like citizenships. Citizenship. Do you realize, because you were born here in the United States, supposedly when we make America great again, you're supposed to have some rights. Why? Just because you was born. Just because you was born. He's our priest. He's he's not only our priest, because we were the cursed Canaanite people, we were aliens, ain't a Jew uh, among us. He's But he's also a priest over the Jews too. But we're all one now in this new priest. Called Melchizedek. So he meets us. Risen from the dead. King of kings. He meets us. The firstborn. The delight of the father. His pet. His favorite. He meets us. uh, Our Melchizedek priest. And he breathes into us his life. So we become a king. And in the King, we become priest. In the Melchizedek order, who is the final priest? We become living stones in the foundation stone. We're we're a part of the celebration of what the whole Old Testament was looking forward to. They long for our day. I mean, Abraham looked for a city. Who hath foundations, a city whose builder and maker is God. Now people are still looking for the city. You're it. You're it. Do you realize, do you ever go back and read the book of Daniel? Daniel. Do you realize when Daniel saw that big gold-headed man and and silver and all of that and all the kingdoms, but he saw a little stone hewn out of the mountain not made with men's hands that dashed that, and he saw that kingdom that would go out and fill the whole earth. Do you realize you are part of the kingdom Daniel saw down in Babylon? Daniel was, was looking through the people and he saw a kingdom. He saw you. Do you realize that you're what God told Abraham about back in the land of the Ur of the Chaldees? I don't know if you realize this, but you are looking. Uh, I'm thinking about that movie, Old Brother, we're out there, bona fide, but you do you realize that you are looking at a bona fide son of Abraham right now standing before you? bonafide bona fide son of Abraham standing right here. They're looking for him. The lost tribes, they're looking for him all over the scattered. Where are they? They're looking. Paul tells us, this ain't an ethnic thing. This ain't because of my bloodline. This has to do with faith in the Holy Spirit. We are, I am, you are an immediate, immediate meeting. There's no one in between. No one in between, a direct descendant of Jesus. You was begotten of Him. He personally breathed into us His life. How much more immediate can you get? And He goes straight back to Abraham. Just as Paul said, so every promise made to Abraham, every promise made to Isaac, to Jacob, to to Judah, to David, all the prophets were all fulfilled. We just read that in Jesus when God raised him from the dead. I descend from Jesus. You descend from Jesus. So all the promises are what now? Yes. And amen. I mean, but now I got—I got to pose a question. But wait a minute, I'm a Gentile. How in the world can the promises be to me? No, you're not any longer. You're in Christ. Let let me say it this way: Every promise in the Old Testament was made to Israel. That's why a lot of people don't like the Old Testament. Or they they try to make it up as they go. This is where people get get messed up at. The question is, who's Israel? Because every promise in the Old Scriptures is made to Israel. It's addressed to Israel. And you know what? You and I are not Israelites. The Old Testament belongs to Israel. We can try to spiritualize it all the way you want to. You, and you can sing songs about it, courses about it. But you know what? You have no right. You have no right to it. Let, let's, let me break it down simple. Let's say that I made a promise to Tracy. I made a specific group of promises to Tracy. Well, you know what, guys? You can spiritualize it all you want to. And you can say, well, I'm going to claim it. I'm going to name it and claim it for myself. Well, guess what? They ain't yours. They was made to her. Everything in that Bible is made to Israel. So we better figure out who Israel is. If I made promises to her, then you have no right to it. Let me let me show you something. Uh, I know you guys love this. Uh, Jeremiah. I heard somebody quoting it the other day. It's what came on my mind. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, you guys know it. Now listen to this. Let's see who this is to. Jeremiah 29, verse 1, does that thing still froze up? No. No. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem and to the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Who is he writing to? You? Uh-uh. He's writing to Israel. So let's, let's go down here uh, in verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, after the 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. Who? Israel. Not you. I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Who? Israel saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Who's he talking to? You? No. He's talking to Israel. How about uh, Deuteronomy 28? Oh, we've, we've looked at all those blessings. Deuteronomy, I mean, we could go through those blessings. And man, they're wonderful. But let's, let's go to the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy. Let's see who he's talking to. Deuteronomy 1.1. These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel. Oh my gosh. You and I are Gentiles. We had no right to any of it. It was written to, to Israel. This is all the way through the scriptures. And I'm telling you, people who come up with and they try to make two covenants... You know, one for Israel, one for the Gentiles, and he's got to restore Israel, and all that's hogwash. It was straight up, just like I made promise to Tracy, that's it. All of y'all are out. He made promise to Israel, which did what? Excluded everybody else. So how in the world can all nations be blessed? He didn't make a covenant to the Gentiles. He didn't make a covenant uh, to all this. You can spiritualize, spiritualize. You can sing about it. You can name it and claim it all you want. If you're not Israel, it ain't for you. Plain and simple. But guess what happened? You got joined to Jesus Christ who is Israel. He is the one and the only, the final Israelite that every promise in the Bible was made to. And whoever, Jew, Gentile, Canaanite, Hittite, is joined to Him. Then I'm immediately related to Him by the Holy Spirit, they are mine. I'm not spiritualizing those promises at all. Not at all. They are mine because I'm an Israelite. The only kind that God recognizes. How do, what does he recognize? By faith. That's the reason he says, To as many as believed on him, to them he gave the power, King James says, but that's the right, the right to become the sons of God. And then now that you have the right, he says, now come and ask, and I'll give you the uttermost parts of the world for your inheritance. We live like beggars and paupers in a world, and he says, ask, and I'll give it to you. Gosh, we ask for such small things. That's why we stayed so long uh, about prayer, why things don't, don't happen, because it's the way we approach prayer. He said, ask. I mean, we look around the world here. I mean, we're on the verge of war and civil war and all of these things. And I say, where's the church at? What are we doing? We've been called to such a time as this. Put your influence on it. King of kings here. And what does he tell us? to He says, ask. And I'll give it to you. I don't know how. I don't know how he can lay all this stuff down. But I don't want to see war. I don't want to see thousands and millions dead and blown up and bodies. Because Jesus died for every single one of them. Including me and you. It didn't matter if they're Russian, Ukrainian, Croatian, Yugoslavian, American, Canadian. It does not matter. This thing is relevant right now where we are. And we, and all of these promises, promises of peace. I mean, do you really believe that he says they won't learn war anymore? Do you believe that or do you throw that off and say, well, another time? The reason it's not is because we don't ask. He said, if you receive not, why is that? Because you didn't ask. But we really don't believe. And God ain't really into politics. What have have we been saying? We're about the kingdom business. Because you're in the kingdom. And this kingdom dashes all other kingdoms to pieces. Daniel saw it. Do you say Daniel's a liar? You got the right. Do, Do you see what I'm talking about here? I mean, Jesus, who is Jesus? He's truth. He's truth incarnate. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the chosen, the beloved, the first of a new creation, ruler of the kings of the earth. The king that was promised to David, spoken to David. And he loved us. Back in Revelation, the scripture says he, he loved us or he loves us. When... John is, is writing that. Let me go back over there and read that to you. When John is, is, is writing that, and just as I've went through all of these words and been explaining to you, it's the prince of the kings of the earth. I mean, he blurts right out. I, I mean, he, he can't contain. It's like shaking a pop up and take a lid off, and it spews out. And he, I mean, and he, and he blurts out. Unto him that loved us and washed us or loosed us from our sins in his own blood. He had to interject that little part right there. Released us and made us to be a kingdom priest to God and His Father. To Him be glory. John, he, he contemplates who Jesus is and then he bursts into worship. He contemplates. I mean, Jesus said, said what? Come and what? Learn of me. I always wonder sometimes. I mean, and you know, this is a learn. This is an ever ongoing learning of who He is. And I, and I, I want to tell you, uh, worship grows in depth and content as you behold Him. As I know who he is, as I learn who I am in him, I I have something to say hallelujah about. I mean, people respond in different ways. I mean, when you're a little kid, how does a, a kid respond when they find out they're going to Disney World? I mean, they might jump and turn flips and jump around and do all this other stuff. When you get older, it's different ways, but it's no less worship. Sometimes you're just in awe. It's no less worship. You contemplate, but it has content to it. I hate the non-content. You ever hear people, uh, you know, as they talk, "Praise God, Amen." They say, "Well, you know, I got to take out, Amen. I got to take out the trash. Praise God. I got, you know, now I got time of shoes. Praise God and Amen. And after I time of shoes, and we put my shirt on. Praise God. And then we're gonna drive down to the church. Praise God. And hope we have a good meeting down there. Praise God. You ever hear anybody talk like that? See, it has no content. They use, what, what I think, they used to cuss all the time, and now they just filled it with the other stuff. It's got no content to it. We're talking content. And that content only comes by beholding Him. Seeing Him. unto Him that loves us. Now, King James says loved but the love of God is not limited here to one point in time. Yes, He loved us. He loved me. That goes back to the cross where His love was manifest, but He loves us. The love of God is present, it is now. He loves us. Now, people, this is what I was telling you about raising him from the dead. This is what i got to explain to you. People have left Jesus hanging on the cross. Hanging on the cross as he loved us. I mean, that's where where it showed up. And yes, that's true. He did, but that's that's like hanging an old love letter. Framing it and hanging it on the wall and saying, see, he loved me. You see, marriage, which is, is not a, a framed love letter. I know a lot of people that says, well, this is a love letter. And that is. It's a beautiful love letter. But I want to hang this on the wall and say, look at how much he loves me. I mean, he loves us now. He's here. You're in him and he's in you. And it's present reality. I mean, I just, you know, I think in my head how much Tracy loves me, and she gives me all these letters all the time, so many. But I guess I I could say, you know what, next time I go out to eat, I'm going to take the love letter and leave Tracy at home. And I could go around and say, look how much she loved me. And then from then on, I will always be with the love letters. (laughs) Yeah. Do do you understand? I mean, people leave him hanging on the cross and they don't have him in the present now. But you, you may love and cherish the love letter for in it was all the other love letters, but it must be unfolded down through the years. So we look at the cross and it's the focus of love, the beginning and the ending of love. It's all seen right there. Yet every hour of our lives, the cross is being unfolded. He loves us now present tense. Now this is so important. If you don't get this, the the love of God is not a picture that hangs in history. The love of God is a now experience. And it takes our minds a long time to absorb that. Now, our spirit gets it. Our spirits, they get it. I mean, he says the spirit's will and flesh is weak. I mean, the spirit gets it. When he comes into us, we get it. We respond to that. But our minds, it takes a long time because why? Our minds have been so brainwashed of what we think God is really like, what we've been told, what we've been brought up from our families, from religion, from everywhere, all around us. I mean, if you ask people now, and we've asked this question, do you, really, do, do you really believe God now loves you? Well, yeah. but You know, God so loved the world. Do you believe He likes you? Most of the times when I ask that question, I get silence. Well, you know, and then we go on to explain. When I'm doing good, He likes me. And when I'm not, you know, He, lo- he loves the sinner, but He don't love you. You get all of this other stuff. No, I want to know point blank right now, does He like you? And until you can grasp the fact, Kayla, that He likes you right now in this very moment. Doesn't matter what. He liked you before you was born. He loved you before you was even born. Now, if He only loved you when you could do good, then He couldn't love you before you was born because you hadn't done nothing. But He loved you before you was born. He liked you. And, and, and... You know, it's not, well, he loves me if I do the right things. If I read enough and pray enough and go to church, he really, he, you know, it's not that. And you know what? People have put this crazy ideal on their kids. Oh, if you do that, mommy won't love you. So we, we create, it's been created in us that love is conditional. Santa Claus, I mean, you know, we, but, what, but what happens, it's conditional. You could get cold. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out, better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming, he's watching you. So what does that do? It creates in me. We think we're doing children good by creating in them a, a leverage to make them do what's right. The Bible says the goodness of God leads men to repentance. He didn't say leverage and law. He said all that does is bring death and condemnation. I'm telling you, this is the most amazing thing. And when you're raised that way, we all have been. We're never sure where we stand in relation to His love. We don't know. I mean, I had a guy tell me uh, a couple months ago perhaps you'll find, perhaps God will have mercy on you because He thinks I'm a heretic. Perhaps God will have mercy on you. And if not, then you know what? Katie, bar the door. He's going to get you and bust you up because you know God is ticked off. I mean, how much is going on right now in our nation? I hear it all the time. Until this nation repents, God has sent the plague. If God sent this plague, Jesus did nothing on the cross. Got nothing to do with it. I'm telling you, we live in a sin-sick world. And Jesus took all of that on himself. And bore it away. Problem is, people don't believe it. People don't believe it. Think God is mad. I'm telling you, the wrath of God has been satisfied in the once and for all, forever offering of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's in your face. What are you going to do with it? Believe it or not. That's the way it is. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Like it or not, it's there. If you don't receive it, it's... That's that's on you if you you didn't ask. I mean, that's on you. Why, oh God, is all of this mess happening? He said, if you receive not, it's because you ask not. So who's it on? He said, if you'll ask of me, I'll give you the uttermost parts of the world. If you don't have them, obviously you didn't ask. I mean, do you believe the promises of God? I mean, they didn't come into the promised land because they didn't believe. And I'm telling you, it's just like when I said, he loves you. Everybody says, yeah, he likes you. Hang on a second. We don't really believe it. The whole book of Hebrews is about non-believing. And they never enter into rest. Because they don't believe. So I'm always unsure of where I stand with God. There'll be many today who will uh, be wondering about their relationship to God and they'll try to come up front and try to make it right again. And they'll do that every Sunday. And they'll come up and they'll waller in the floor and try to make their relationship right again. Let me tell you something. Your relationship with God was made right 2,000 years ago when He hung on the cross and when He raised again. It was made right. It was made right before you was born. It was made right. The table was, was set before you was ever born. Come and eat, he says. You can't go and try to please him. You was pleasing unto him before you was born. You know, I could, I could go into this, but uh, I'm just going to give you a, a couple verses here. Uh, I love this. I, I just go read it sometimes. Romans chapter 8. And then I want to talk to you about something else here. Verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Do you ever really think if God be for you, who? I mean that's a question. Who can be against you? Now we, we must answer the question then, is God for you? I've just went through this whole genealogy, the whole thing. He's breathed into you his life and all the promises he is, he's for you. Then who can be against you? He that spared not his own son, who is that? God the Father. He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us? All things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Now, when did He justify? The same book says, He was buried for our offenses and raised for our justification. God raised Him up, and when God raised Him up, you were justified. Who could lay anything to your charge now? He closed the books. You know, Jesus talked about that guy who owed all them talents uh, of gold. And, and he says the old guy just came in and frankly just closed the book. So that's it. He owes nothing. And then that guy went out and tried to get everybody that owed him to pay. And then he had to come back and answer. So the guy says, I forgave you. And, and this guy only owed you a buck and you wouldn't forgive them. You know the story. Who is it that condemneth? Is it Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again? Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation. You ever ask that? Who can separate you from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Nay, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us, loves us. For I'm persuaded, are you persuaded? That neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, powers, things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know when I read that right there, I mean I get excited. I don't know about you, but you know. He also made some promises in that Bible for my children. Do you, ever, do you ever think about that? And when I go and I look and I think, well, you, not only was, you know, there were some promises for my, and I can claim them. You, I don't know if, you under, if you're getting a hold of that. I can claim them. Because you go and, go and look, I mean, this thing would be on and on. They was just going to be blessed, going in, blessed, coming out. Blessed, the seed of their womb, just, just blessing. Let me, let me give you an example here. I, w- I, w- I just want you to think about this. I, I use Jeff as an example. He's got two daughters. Jeff and Jody, and let's say that somebody came to to uh, Hannah and Maddie and convinced them that Jeff and Jody didn't love them, and that Jeff and Jody was lying to them and holding back from them, and convinced them so much that they now become scared of Jeff and Jody, thinking Jeff and Jody's going to beat them to a pulp, and Jeff and Jody don't really even like them. And this, this one who comes and convinces them so much causes them to leave and will never come back. Now, what's Jeff going to do? Heck with Hannah and Maddie. Psh, y'all believe it? Uh-uh. No. Now, who's, who's his wrath going to be on? Hannah or the liar? Oh, yeah. Do, do, do you get this picture? He's going after that liar with a rage. Right in Genesis, I will crush the head of the liar. And Adam and Eve, I'm coming to get you. You've been lied to. That's not who I am. Do you you get this? I mean, is he going to go punish his kids for believing the lie? No. The punishment in it's enough. i got to ask you a question. Just throwing this out there at you. Why didn't he kill Cain? Cain's the first murderer in the Bible. Why didn't he say, you know what, I'm Cain, that's it. I'm I'm done with it. He said, nope, don't touch him, and nobody else better touch him. I mean Jesus tells us in in, in, in John, let me let me flip over here, uh John eight. John eight forty two, Jesus says, If God were your father, you would love me before I came uh, from God. But you're of your father the devil. What, what does that mean? That means you've believed the lie. Believe the lie, of what? That I'm no good. That I'm holding back. That I don't really love you. That my love can be extinguished. He loves us. And the cross, guys, was his love for us on display, where he destroyed, where he crushed the head of the serpent. You, you guys remember the story? to say this here, of Moses when he brings them out of Egypt. They're in, I mean, they're in tyranny. They're in slavery. They're in bondage down in Egypt. Now, they weren't coming out. They cried under the agony, but they weren't coming out. It took a Moses to bring them out. And he brings them out, but he doesn't bring them into the promised land. He brings them into the wilderness. You ever wonder that? Why not take them straight into the promised land? He brings them into the wilderness. Why? I'm telling you, this whole Bible is a story of every one of us bringing us to the revelation of Jesus Christ and how that He has rescued us and and brought us out. Yes, it's about Him, but it's our journey. Our journey away and our being carried back, summed up in the the lost sheep and he carries them back. But we've all been prisoners of our own ideas, our own misconceptions, our own idols that we've all made up in our mind. And what happens if we somehow free ourselves? You know what that means right away? We're nowhere. God didn't say I was going to bring you out. He said I brought you out to bring you in. That's why people listen. I know you think this is crazy. People like bondage. People love the bondage. You know why? They have something to eat. They got structure in bondage. They know when to go to work, when not to come. They they know everything because. And I mean, that's what we see. I always tell people that why our government's so big. You know why the the government is so big? Because it's a lack of the Lord Jesus Christ in you, and and big government will come in and fill the void. It always does. People like the bondage. Do you remember what Jesus asked the man who was in chains for 38 years? He had to ask him, didn't he? Do you really want to come out? I won't make you. There's many people who love the bondage of Egypt. Love the garlic and the leeks. And and let me say this. The worst the tyranny of bondage... Worse, the desert? It's no wonder the people don't want to come out. You know, it takes a, a, a leader, a Moses, the prophet, this one. So now they're in so now they're in the wilderness. You you get this story. It, it, they're there for 40 years because you know why, guys? It takes a long time to recover from all that mess. And right in the middle of that, they start worshiping idols. They make themselves a golden cast. They come out from under bondage, first thing they do is. Now we know what God is like, and they made an image, and he's like a calf, and they made a golden calf. All it is is ideologies, and that's what every one of us do immediately when we come into the church. We immediately make a golden calf, every single one of us. That's why we think, we, that's why people say, I know God is angry, I know God is this, I know what God's going to get them, and God's going to, and you don't do. Why? Because you done made a golden calf in your hand. You've came out. Now you're in the wilderness. And then, uh, you know what? They don't have anything. They don't have a compass. You know what a compass is? Direction. They don't have any way to orient themselves. They're not in ty- tyranny anymore. So what do they do? They fight amongst themselves. We don't know who to fight. Does this is not our church world out here? They fight amongst themselves. I ain't going to that church Well, The worst hurt I ever got was in church. Well, what does church do? They Kill and fight. I mean, we went back and read. Solomon had a son, Rehoboam, and he was so mean and evil, they split the kingdom, split, and it divided, and King Saul's kingdom and David's getting fighting amongst themselves. Um, uh, about the idols, and they set up idols in Dan. They did all of this stuff. It's still going on today. I mean, they got ten commandments put up. But they got all of this junk put up. Fighting amongst themselves. They had so much fight. You know what Moses did all day long? He had to sit and settle the conflicts between the people, didn't he? So much so that he had to help spread the wealth. He had to give it to 70 others who later became the Sanhedrin. Because all they did was fight. Imagine all day, three million people. And all it is, court case after court case after court case. And these are God's people who just came out of bondage. So what are we going to do? God sends snakes. Now the snakes are biting these people and they are dying. Now, I go back to Egypt. I'm in bondage. I'm in tyranny. Now I'm over here and I'm fighting with you and you're fighting with me. And, and everywhere I step is a dad gone copperhead and a rattlesnake and a water moccasin, and, and, and they're biting us and everybody's dying. I'm still ticked off at you because of you hurt me and that, but we're all dying. So they finally said, Moses, we need some help. Go talk to this God of yours. You, They done swore we ain't talking to him. We don't want to talk to him. We're scared of him. You go talk to him and tell him we need some help. God says, okay. Now listen, God could have cut the snakes off, but he didn't cut the snakes off, did he? He says, Moses, no, you can't make this up. He says, Moses, I want you to take a a pole and I want you to make a brass serpent and wrap it around that pole and stick it up in the air. And everybody who looks... On that pole with that serpent on it will be healed. Now, what's the lesson here? You ever, you ever wonder what that is? I mean, let, let's look at it here real quick. This is what I had to get to. And I know I'm going over. But just bear with me a little bit. And, and I mean, we got to look at what we're afraid of. Have you ever taken your kids? I mean, you got these little kids and they're at night and they're afraid. And they're saying, oh, mommy, there's something under my bed. Do you not take them in there and pull the covers back and say, look. Look, Taylor, there's nothing under the bed. But I'm afraid there's something in the closet. You open the closet door and you go and you say, look. And he says, look, look at what you're afraid of. What were we afraid of? God. All the way back in the garden, it was the lie. Who, I mean, we we knew you were coming. We were afraid. Look at what you're afraid of. Put this brass sermon and put it on the pole. I mean, we were afraid of God. We were afraid of death, he tells us the Hebrews, all our life subject to death. So, so we get a picture here face what you're most afraid of, and you'll be free. Voluntarily come and look at what you're afraid of, and you'll be free. Voluntarily come and look at what you're afraid of. What was with God? Now he says, You want the picture? Come to the cross. You want to see what God really looks like? Come to the cross. God doesn't chase away the snakes. He makes the people braver. And bravery is way better than safety. It's more reliable. When I'm afraid, I can be brave. He doesn't keep me from the storm. But I know who He is so much that I can rest in the storm. Now I'm brave. I mean, we go through the book of Revelation. What do you think a conqueror is? Somebody who ain't never been in war? No. That has the very meaning of I've been through it. Now, John, right here, Jesus speaks in John. Everybody quotes John 3.16, John John 3.14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is comparing himself to a snake on a stick, which is the cross. Now, if we look at this story, look at this story and all the little pieces of this story. There was no death worse than the crucifixion. I mean, it, it was torture. It was a slow death. I mean, died of dehydration, suffocation, all of those things. Plus, you know what's coming. Me and Tracy was watching last night, you know, was watching this show. It was a good show. And, you know, how, how awful it must be when you go to the doctor. And he says, you got three months. Oh, the agony. See, the cross means I know it's coming. The agony of it. Plus, your best friend betrayed you. Plus, your own people's turned against you. Plus, you're a victim of the Roman Empire. Plus, you're completely innocent. And plus, everybody knows you're completely innocent. And plus, they chose a criminal to be released instead of you. You're young, you've done nothing wrong. All you've done is help people. And here it is, the cross. Now when you go look at the stories, uh, visit the little places of the stories. uh, See who you are in the stories. Because we all find ourselves, I sometimes rotate going through the story of who we are in that story. Uh, Maybe you're Mary. What did Mary have to do? Because you have to offer your children. To the destruction of the world, you got to let them go. I mean, d- d- does that not come a time when you have to let your children go? What bravery that takes. I mean, you would as a hen do it, gather, uh, gather her brood. You would keep them under all the time. I know Tracy's going through it now. I mean, he wants to go, go, go. And you have to be brave and say, That's what Mary did. Oh, Mary, you'll... You, you. It's going to be hard on you, Mary. Oh, he told her, yeah, this is going to be tough. She had to be brave. Maybe you're Mary in this story. I mean, this great courage doesn't hold her son back. Maybe you're Pilate. Maybe you're Doubt truth. Truth is coming and st- looking at you in the face. Jesus said, I'm the truth. This is it. But you follow the crowd. It's too much. Right? That's what he did. He washed his hands. I'm going with the crowd. Maybe you're Judas. Maybe you betrayed your best friend. Maybe you're the mob. You don't want nothing to do with it. Maybe you're the criminal. You look at all of that. You look at all these things that you hate. You look at all these things you're terrified by. And it's the worst possible snakes everywhere. The snakes are everywhere. Right? That's what you're looking at. You see death. You see pain. You see destruction, tyranny, betrayal. Look harder and harder. What do you see? You see the cross. Not only that, you see the resurrection. See, the cross is where God confronts man. Men love the darkness. But the cross is where He confronts man. What what we've become through the fall, what we've become through the lie. When, when the truth, listen to this, when the truth comes into a world of lies and sin, when, it, when truth comes into such a world, truth can only appear as crucified. When we look at the cross, guys, we're looking, we're looking at a mirror of what we have become in sin. We did this. We did it. I mean the scripture in Revelation right after we just got done. Every eye shall see him. Yea, even they that pierced him. That's why we don't want to see the cross. We don't want nothing to do with the cross. Oh, We don't want to look. When We see it, it reveals the truth in our midst. We destroy the truth. We don't want the truth. The serpent... We became the serpent. You're of your father the devil. Now listen, the serpent first appeared at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that tree is first revealed to us at the cross. Yet there's light piercing through the cross. As we stare at the cross, as we stare at Jesus, we begin to see... We are staring into the face of love that has no bounds. We see the God who is love submitting. I want you to get this. He submitted to our violence. He submitted to our violence. He submitted to our madness. He was innocent. What did Psalm 2 say? We won't have this man rule over us. We got Caesar as our king. He that sits in heaven shall laugh. They said, let us break his bounds. And here it is. The more we scourge him, the more we mock him, the more we spit on him, the more we pull his beard out, the more he demonstrates the depths of his unconditional love. Can you get a hold of that? And the resurrection is the revelation that this love, that by all appearances hanging on the cross, look like it's been conquered. Look at Him, He's dead. It looks like we did it. We stamped out the love of God. Look at it, it's dead. We extinguish it by our violence, by our sin, by our madness. This love is unconquerable. It can't be extinguished. And the resurrection reveals for us all to see this love can't be stamped out. And it restores us back to paradise where we were always meant to be. He told the guy on the cross, where are you going to be? One of these days you'll be with me in heaven. He said, today you'll be restored to paradise the way it was intended. I mean, why didn't He say, you're going to be raptured out of here And uh, you know, when I fulfill all these prophecies? It is fulfilled. You remember that sword we were talking about? The sword that turned every way to keep the men away? The, the sword to keep them from the tree of life. Now this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's seen right here. Good. I mean, they look at the serpent on the pole and they're healed. But also the evil that we see of what we become. Now, you know, Moses' staff swallowed up the Egyptians' staff. And I want to I just tell you this. And I'm, you can go ahead, Jeff. I mean, got 30 seconds left. Tradition, and I love this little part, says that Moses' staff was made of the wood of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Have you ever heard that? Moses was a law bearer. Same, what we were talking about Wednesday. And ancient tradition has it that the horizontal piece of the cross was made of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. the Horizontal, where his hands were. And the vertical piece that went from heaven to earth was made of the tree of life. And I want you to see that both are together here. Both are together. And Jesus hung on the cross. Who did he hang between? Two thieves. Who were the two thieves? Adam and Eve. Because they stole the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They stole it. What is the devil? It's a thief. So now we've got this tree with stolen fruit. But as I told you before, Mary, the Virgin Mary, she's the new Eve. Who gives the fruit of her womb and and the fruit is placed back on the tree to restore the world back to its original edemic harmony. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Paul gets it so much, he says, we have peace with God. So here in the midst of all the sin and the death and the curse and the violence and the madness, the cross blossoms into the tree of life. It blooms. Revelation. Chapter 22. And he showed me, verse 1, a river of water of life. Clear as Crystal. Proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. Where are you at? Seated with Him in the throne, King of Kings. Out of you comes this water. Out comes clear water. It ain't muddied no more. Water Ezekiel saw. Ezekiel saw the water. It comes out of you. It's crystal clear. There's no more condemnation. It's crystal clear. Love ain't muddied no more in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree, tree were for the healing of the nations and there should be no more curse but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it and His servants shall serve Him and verse 17, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Do you get a hold of that? What a tree. What a person. What a cross. What a resurrection. I'm going to quit with that. We'll probably finish up this next week.